I would like to welcome you to the online, yeah, this is internet, virtual, if you would, uh, memorial service for Christian apologist and pastor Ken Silva. My name is uh, Pastor Chris Rosebro. I'm the host of the Fighting for the Faith radio program and captain over at Pirate Christian Radio. A couple of quick notes as we begin. You'll notice that there is a distinctly traditional feel for this uh, memorial service, and uh, that's on purpose. Ken being the person that he is, uh, he was a staunch defender of the historic Christian faith and a critic of many of the innovative techniques and methodologies being employed in the modern-day seeker-driven and purpose-driven churches. As his friend, then, I thought it appropriate that uh, that the service have a look and feel of traditional uh, Christian services, and uh, it it really worked well in being able to provide what I consider to be dignity and reverence uh, in recognizing the life and work and mission of uh, of a fallen soldier in Christ. Now, as we move forward, couple of notes. There, there was no way to include everybody who was impacted by Ken Silva in this service. And so this, the people who've participated in putting this together, I want to thank them, as well as thank the people who, uh, who had offered to uh, participate in this service. There simply were uh, too many people for the few spots that uh, existed for this service. And so keep in mind the people who participated uh that you know for every person represented there are literally tens and hundreds more who could have participated and i wanted y'all to know that now another word here and that is is that uh, since this is taking on a distinctly traditional feel to it uh we will have an organist today and the organist uh, music is provided to us via smallchurchmusic.com and the organist uh, Clyde McLennan and uh, thank him. I want to thank him for his sight and for his music. But you'll notice that as we play the hymns today, that uh, there are no lyrics in the audio. Well, that's on purpose. And uh, if you haven't already gone to uh, piratechristianradio.com forward slash Ken Silva and downloaded the service bulletin, you need to do that uh, in order to uh, sing along with the hymns. The idea here is, is that Different people are going to listen to this service at different times. And uh, you have the ability to sing the hymns in the privacy of your home, or you can even just read the lyrics as the music runs. Uh, That's kind of the idea. And so with that, we're going to get into our online memorial service, and here is our opening hymn for all the saints.
the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In holy baptism, Ken was buried into Christ's death, as St. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Amen. A reading from Psalm 25, verses 1 to 20. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be shamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. For they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or the transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Let us pray. O oh God of grace and mercy, we give thanks for your loving kindness shown to Ken Silva and to all your servants who, having finished their course in faith, now rest from their labors. Grant that we also may be faithful unto death and receive the crown of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hello, I'm Mike Corley, creator and host of the Mike Corley Radio Program and president of Grace Media International. In the year 2006-2007, I received an email in our offices in Mississippi from a pastor in Connecticut who told me he had been reading my writings online and listening to our radio program. He told me we shared many of the same concerns about issues and situations in the Christian church 
and he suggested we work together. That man, of course, was Ken Silva. And that email started a relationship between he and I that blessed me tremendously. And I prayed to help make a difference in standing for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. Over the years, Ken and I worked on many different projects, from the emergent church to church growth movements, to things that concerned us in our own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention. And time and time again, Ken was always there for me. In ministry, he was a never-ending source of information, advice, and encouragement. On many occasions, when I was about to take on a challenging, difficult project, I'd call Ken for advice and input. Personally, Ken and I shared many of the same challenges that affected our ministries and our lives itself. On more occasions than one, when I was feeling down and discouraged, the phone would ring, or I'd hear the email notice on my computer, and it'd be Ken Silva calling or writing just to ask how I was doing. I'm so grateful to have known this fine man. And it's perhaps only now that Ken Silva realizes the impact he has made on the lives of so many people, and ultimately and most importantly, for the cause of our Lord. May God be gracious to Ken's wife Donna and their families and give them peace. I thank God for calling Ken Silva, and I thank Ken for being faithful to that call. God bless you. We will now hear from Christine Pack of the Sola Sisters. Apprising Ministries was one of the first websites I found that was devoted to discernment and theological issues, a site which helped me begin to make sense of what I was seeing in the church. You see, my husband and I were both saved as adults in a seeker-sensitive church, though we didn't know it was seeker-sensitive at the time. It was a church that also began to drift into mysticism and emergent theology, all of which was very confusing and upsetting, for me especially as a former mystic and New Ager. Of all Christians, I knew more than most that the mysticism and the yoga classes my church was offering were not biblical. Ken's articles helped me understand why I was seeing these changes in the church, and so his site became an oasis for me. Eventually, I wrote to Ken, asking him a question about a particular subject. This was almost ten years ago, so I don't remember what the topic was. All I remember was that I was a little scared, because sometimes Ken's articles could be pretty tough and hard-hitting. When I got a response back... I was immediately struck by how kind he was. From that point forward, I knew Ken was a safe haven for me to go and ask questions, which I did with regularity. We eventually became friends. One thing that people don't know about Ken, just from reading his articles, was how kind and selfless he was. His articles were hard-hitting. There's no question about that. But behind the scenes, he really had a shepherd's heart. I have lost count of the Christians who, upon hearing of Ken's death, have come forward and shared how Ken personally took time, sometimes spanning months and even years, to talk with them, whether through email or by phone or by Skype, about this or that issue they were struggling with. Teaching fellow Christians how to rightly divide God's word and rightly apply discernment was extremely important to Ken, and not because he viewed discernment as an end in and of itself, but because he wanted more than anything to exalt Christ and he wanted to see other Christians maturing spiritually and becoming more steady in their walks and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Some of Ken's theological opponents have commented on the fact that Ken did not have a prominent media presence other than the Apprising Ministries website. This was true. Ken did not seek prominence and media exposure for himself. The simple fact is that Ken didn't choose to make himself prominent because he wanted to make Christ prominent. 
Ken did make his contact information available, and for those who wanted to contact him, he was freely available. I have now lost count of the reports of those he has helped over many months and sometimes years, and all of this done off the radar. As I said earlier, I knew that he personally helped me and a few others in my immediate circle because we were friends. But I never knew the scope of how many he had helped until his death, and Christians began coming forward and sharing how he had helped them personally, patiently, and quietly, and not in a way that was for public consumption, a true mark of a shepherd. Behind the scenes, Ken had many nicknames. Being a former high school coach, one obvious nickname for him, and the one I addressed him by most was Coach. It was a good nickname for him, because like a good coach, he got the best out of those he was teaching. He was honest, patient, kind, committed, loyal, and he also wasn't afraid to correct or rebuke if necessary, which he did with great kindness, as a good coach should. A few of Ken's other nicknames were Ninja Ken, Big K, and Ultra Ken. That last nickname, Ultra Ken, came about when a bunch of emergents, often the target of some of Ken's toughest articles, wrote up a snarky article about a fictional discernment blogger named Ultra Ken that contained a grainy Japanese video of their nemesis, a mysterious superhero who battled emergent and other theological foes, all while wearing silver tights and showing off some impressive dance moves. After that nickname stuck, when Ken would cover an issue that he suspected might be a particularly contentious one, he would joke that he was about to go all ultra or unleash his ultra. I owe Ken a great debt. He pastored me when I needed to be pastored, and he did so with great kindness and patience. Just yesterday, I wanted to call Ken and ask him how to write about a particular topic, and I couldn't. But someday, I will see Ken again, and the pain that he suffered in the last few years of his life will all be gone. There will be no more battles for truth then, no more hostile attacks from without, and no more friendly fire from within. All will be known, and there will be perfect reconciliation and peace among all of us who are in glory together as we worship our Savior. In the words of the old gospel hymn, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Our Old Testament reading will come from the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. My name is Erin Benziger, and I run the Do Not Be Surprised blog at donotbesurprised.com. Like many, I could tell of the way the Lord used Ken in my life in a rather unexpected manner. In fact, there was a time when Ken and I could practically finish each other's sentences because of a shared focus on the Word of God. The trajectory of my own ministry would not be what it is today if not for the way the Lord ordered circumstances involving Ken. I am thankful for all of these things, but this certainly is not about me or my ministry, and in spite of this memorial service, ultimately it is not about Ken. It is, as I believe Ken would want it to be, about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Anyone who professes Christ with his lips in life should desire that Christ be proclaimed in his death. The principle of he must increase, I must decrease does not become void upon a man's final earthly breath. And so it is not about discernment ministries or blogs or anecdotes. It is about Christ. God knows the degree to which he used Ken and the manner in which he used Ken. And now those of us who remain must not lose sight of the ongoing battle for the truth. Several years ago, Ken wrote about the lifeline of prayer and the Christian's tendency to neglect this important and merciful gift from God. In remembering that post, I also am drawn to remember 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. It was through prayer that Paul's eyes were taken off of his own affliction and set firmly upon the master who bought him. Without announcing his suffering, Paul simply turned to the Lord and in answer to his prayer, found that he would rather boast in his weakness so that the power of Christ could be magnified. May we all learn a lesson from the life and now the death of Ken Silva. Let those of us who love the Lord embrace our trials and weaknesses and view them as opportunities to glorify God. Therein may he be highly exalted as his power is displayed in man's frail and fallible weakness. Farewell, Ken. Your voice will be missed. There will never be another one like yours. Uh, my name is Amy Spreeman. I'm from uh, the Stand Up for the Truth radio program, and we broadcast out of northeastern Wisconsin. And I first became aware of Uprising Ministries as we were uh, launching our radio program four years ago. And I just started consuming everything I could about um, the, the Emergent Church and Rick Warren. And, uh, you know, this uh, website was very well documented, and uh, one link led to another. And I, so I spent hours and hours just uh, consumed with all of this. And, uh, you know, a lot of people from Ken's circles uh, kind of took me under their wing in this uh, so-called discernment realm back then. These were uh, veterans who were just so kind. And uh, about that time, I got an email from Ken, and uh, it was one of those, um, here's my cell phone, we got to talk kind of emails. And I was so nervous to call him back. Uh, but I did, and uh, he instantly put me at ease. Um, he welcomed me to this team, I guess. And he, we talked for about an hour in that first conversation. Uh, we would have many more, but I was just so impressed by his passion for the church. And he told told me, I, one thing I learned, he, he taught me as I uh, report about all of these movements that he was so passionate about uh, coming and, uh, uh, you know, leading the church down a very different path. He said, don't call it the church. Uh, please call it the visible church. Uh, make sure you don't uh, lump all of us together because there really is a, a bride of Christ, a remnant who, uh, and we just want to be that perfect spotless bride. We don't want to be involved in any of these things. We want to be discerning. And uh, the thing that struck me about him, though, he was uh, he was so kind and loving and caring. And uh, yes, his work really made an impact on me and so many people. But I think his heart and his love for the Lord made an impact on me even more. So uh, that's the attitude I always wanted to have when I uh, do what I do. I want to make sure that my eyes are always on the Lord. And uh, that loving kindness that I show to others uh, really is a result of, of what Ken taught me. So thank you, dear brother Ken. And uh, we will meet again. Hi, I'm Phil Johnson, Executive Director of Grace to You, the teaching ministry of John MacArthur. 
For eight years, starting in 2005, I blogged at the Pyromaniacs blog. And during that time, I had no more staunch ally and no more faithful encourager than Ken Silva. I was happy to have him as a friend, even though we never got to meet one another face to face. Ken was a man of immense courage and tenacity, and during that first decade of the new millennium, he saw very clearly the same dangers I could see were undermining the peace and the soundness of the Church of Jesus Christ. Ken was a much more prolific writer than I could ever be, and he was a more meticulous researcher than anyone else I've ever known. And his work became a resource that I turned to again and again. Ken first wrote me by email in 2005. He took the time to write that first email just to give me some gracious words of encouragement. And then over the next seven years or so, we corresponded with one another quite a bit. And I was amazed at Ken's capacity to see and analyze some of the underground movements that have threatened evangelical Christianity over the past two decades or so. He was a relentless critic of everything that dishonored Christ or fell short of the biblical guidelines for church leadership and ministry philosophy, and he was a very effective critic. Because so much was wrong and still is wrong in popular evangelical Christianity, and because Ken had this uncanny ability to see problems early, and he also had the courage to keep sounding warnings even when he was personally attacked for it, because of that, a lot of people simply dismissed Ken as a crank or a full-time antagonist, someone who just liked to be critical. But the legacy of Ken's ministry is still on the Internet, and you can go back and read everything he ever published online for the past decade or longer, and what you will discover is that Ken Silva was nearly always right. On those fairly rare occasions when he got a little detail wrong or misunderstood something, Ken was always willing to own up to his own mistakes and to correct them, and I wish his critics had half that much integrity, because most of the time, and certainly in every major battle Ken ever fought, he was right. He took on the emerging church movement, and postmodern religion, and worldly pragmatism, and a host of other evangelical fads, and he, he warned with great passion and urgency that many of these popular trends were merely fostering apostasy and unbelief. And if you've been watching the evangelical saga unfold, you know that time and truth have already fully vindicated virtually every controversial stance Ken took. He loved the truth. That's the legacy of his life. He had the misfortune of loving truth in an era when most people despised the truth, and so Ken was often vilified or dismissed or attacked by people who ought to have been listening to him. But I, and I know thousands of other readers, learned lots from him. I not only appreciated the way he proclaimed the truth and exposed popular lies, but more than that, I stand in awe of his unflinching willingness to pay the price for what he did. In one sense, it might seem like Ken ministered in relative obscurity. He pastored a small flock in a remote New England community, and not many people in his own neighborhood knew who he was. But in another sense, through the Internet, he had a megaphone to broadcast his writings to a very large world. And even people who opposed what Ken stood for and would have liked to see him silenced they had to read what he wrote, and they were influenced by it as well, because Ken had a way of 
saying things so that even if you hated what he was saying, you had to pay attention to him. You had to think through the points he made. And for that, and for his willingness to suffer for righteousness' sake, I'm deeply thankful. I'll miss Ken. The silencing of his voice leaves a major gap, and I trust the Lord will raise up others, hopefully many others, to fill that vacancy. Scripture says in Revelation 14:13, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And it gives me great joy to think of Ken resting in his eternal reward in heaven with Christ, whom Ken loved and served faithfully. And I want to honor Ken's memory with a thought from 1 Corinthians 15:58. In one of my earliest letters to Ken, I closed with this verse. And as I look back over his life and ministry and think of the impact he has had on thousands who have read his work online... I have to say, this verse distills what I think is the key lesson I've learned from Ken's life, and this states it as well as anything I know. Paul is at the very end of a long chapter where he has encouraged the Corinthians with the doctrine of bodily resurrection. The promise spelled out in verse 49 that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, that's the glorified Christ. And then in the last verse of that chapter, Paul gives this word of encouragement. And this is the text that I think expresses the lesson of Ken Silva's life and ministry. 1 Corinthians 15:58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our epistle reading is from 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 to 58 Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is Sarah Leslie. This is a brief tribute and remembrance of my friend, Pastor Ken Silva. I was first introduced to Ken Silva by way of Steve Muse of Eastern Regional Watch Ministries. It was during the early, heavy days of the online blog ministries Steve had just helped Discernment Ministries set up the Harriscope blog, and he kept telling me about Ken Silva and said I needed to connect with him because he was an expert on the emergent church. I didn't know very much about that, so I started paying attention to what he was writing. Eventually, I did contact Ken. Like many others all over the world, I reached out to him with a pressing question and, characteristically, 
He was prompt to respond with an answer. Occasionally, I had phone chats with him about research issues. I recall predicting early on that we would work more closely together in the years to come because all of the various streams in the evangelical world were converging. His work on emergent, and he in, was indeed the number one expert, was intersecting with some of my research into the new apostolic reformation. Ken was very open about his life. It wasn't very long before I knew some of his personal history. He'd been a coach, a radio guy, a musician, a comedian, all before he became a writer, researcher, and pastor teacher. He had an amazing life story full of interesting twists and turns of God's leading and providence. He also had an amazing aptitude for technology. He was way ahead of the curve on how to work the internet. He wreaked havoc on the emergents who thought they ran the concession on high-tech conversations. When Ken began to listen in on them and then wrote about it, they got upset with him. And who can blame them? He played the game better than they did. Early on, Ken and I had extensive conversations about research. Neither one of us wanted to become ambulance chasers. We'd even joke about it, saying we didn't want to write an article every time Rick Warren picked his nose. Ken was a very studious researcher, and I really respected him for that. He researched with integrity, and he was a stickler for documentation. If he didn't get something right the first time, he'd fix it immediately. He even pulled down a few posts. And he was an incredibly prolific writer. How did he do it? Not one of us could even begin to compete with his output. Sometimes he'd put up five posts in one day, and they'd all be good, high quality, and insightful. One of the most obvious things about Ken's writing style was its blunt cut-to-the-chase style that was often in your face. He would weave a long tail before he got to the gist of the article, but by the time you got to his main point, you'd realize he just zinged it home with a punch. Ouch. His writing style was not contentious, but contending. A subtle difference. When uh, Pastor Anton Bosch published his series of articles on Heroscope called Contentiously Contending, Pastor Ken was enthusiastic. Finally, someone had expressed in writing what he'd been feeling all along. This confirmed for him that he was doing the right thing. Ken had a dedication to absolute truth in scripture. He wanted to alert people to deception, and he was willing to expose error and false teaching and corruption in the church. He frequently stirred up a desire in others to learn the truth and seek God's ways. He even served as a good role model for others who started up blogs and websites, and we're now hearing stories in recent days about how Ken helped people get their online ministry started. Ken always had the time of day for people. He was approachable, very approachable. If you called him, he'd call right back. If you had a question, he tried to answer it. Despite his bulldog aura online, those of us that who had contact with Ken knew him as gracious and warm and engaging. He had a kind demeanor and was compassionate. In fact, he often told me that it was the burden of his heart that others caught up in heresy and deception. Um, that, that burden, it was mo motivated him to keep writing and researching. Ken worked long hours without pay or reward. His was a free will donation ministry. He wasn't in it to sell books or tapes, or, and he wasn't out there promoting himself. 
He wanted to exalt Christ, not himself. He wanted to be a defender of the faith and die to self. Many times he suffered hurt from how others in the discernment world treated him. He was meek and very mild and not in it for its own glory. Occasionally, Ken and I would share a moment to praise God when a piece of bread that we cast on the waters would come back and bless us. This didn't happen often, but we could occasionally see the fruit of his labors. He knew that his reward was in heaven. One particular attribute of Ken's personality was his clever wit and wonderful sense of humor. When we discovered that we both shared a love of satire, we began to work together more closely. Ken and I invented new words to make fun of the weird stuff going on in the evangelical church world. It was really a silly, quirky thing that we enjoyed, and it made, it both, made us both laugh. We began to have fun with it, and pretty soon Pastor Larry DeBrine joined in and began to share in the hilarity. We eventually ran a whole series on Heroscope called Neologisms for Evangelicals. Our favorite word of all time was evangelical, based on the character of Sergeant Schultz in the old TV series Hogan's Heroes. Schultz would say, I hear nothing, I see nothing, I know nothing, and that was how many evangelical leaders were responding to heresy. Ken and Chris Roseborough enjoyed humor and satire together, and pretty soon this caught on across the discernment blogosphere. As the state of the church waxed worse and worse, the ability to laugh and make fun of some of the bizarre absurdities gave us all some comic relief. One day, one of our discernment researchers, Kim Trewick, came up with the name Nephi Lim, a character based on the Nephilim anti-madness that was sweeping the prophecy circles in the church. Ken decided to do satires with Nephi Lim, and they were wildly creative and very funny. Well, I had two teenage boys here at home, and they bought themselves a Bigfoot-looking gorilla costume and began to act out Nephi Lim episodes. They filmed it all in a campy 1960s style of science fiction. Ken loved it and put it up on his website. Sometimes we laughed so hard we cried. The humor helped. Because the world was darkening, the evangelicals were becoming more entrenched in heresies. Many of the heretical streams began converging. Ken, of course, was on the cutting edge of writing about all of it. But the darkness was something almost palpable and we all felt it encroaching. Ken routinely posted old godly teachers, their sermons and devotionals, on his website in order to encourage the saints. It was so hard to watch and observe the hardness of hearts of the evangelical leaders, hell-bent on rushing into postmodernism's mysticism and every other sort of ism. By this time, Ken was part of our discernment research group, and we spent a lot of time encouraging one another and praying for each other. But Ken's world was also darkening. His health began to deteriorate in noticeable ways. For a long time, he hovered near death. He did recover slowly, but he was never able to get back into the fray like he had before. His disease began to affect his eyesight, his feet, and his ability to walk. He didn't have the stamina, and he felt physically weakened. This often depressed him. He wanted to be in the battle. He wanted to serve the Lord. Ken was indeed a true warrior, fighting fearlessly for the faith. He was the most courageous and brave man I've ever known. He was tenacious, and he did not compromise. He had a shepherd's heart, and he passionately longed for people to come to Jesus and to come to the truth. This was the burden of his heart right up to the very end. 
In his last days, he spoke to me of his ongoing concern, grieving over the lostness of the emergent leaders that he had so often written about and even spoken with. And he was frustrated that he didn't feel well enough to write. But one interesting thing happened. Maybe it was an encouragement to him. I hope so. In the last few days of his life, there were a number of occasions when something would come up where someone would need it researched. Ken would reply, I've already written about it. He'd patiently email links to his earlier website articles. He said he felt like he was rerunning some of his old articles, but he felt discouraged like no one had paid attention to them the first time. I finally said to him, Ken, you were ahead of your time. Your writing is going to be current for a long time because a lot of people who are just now waking up are reading what you wrote. And indeed, that does seem to be happening. In conclusion, I want to observe that the Lord has removed a watchman who was standing on the wall, a watchman who faithfully and continually sounded the warning about the dangers. Ken Silva was plucked off the well, off the wall. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is, is there a message in all of this for us? Isaiah 57, 1 comes to mind. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart and merciful men are taken away, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. Alleluia! Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. To Him be glory and power forever. Alleluia! My name is Mike Ratliff. Our Gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1-6. through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know, that, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to, to the Father except through me. We confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.
In the name of Jesus, amen. Our gospel text this morning says something wonderful, says something offensive. It says something true. It says something that to the postmodern ear sounds outrageous, sounds, well, has too much certainty to it, sounds arrogant, but it's not arrogant because it's true. Let me read again the words of our Lord. Jesus, the Lord and giver of life, the virgin-born Son of God who suffered on the cross for our sins, says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's right, the historical Jesus the only Jesus who ever walked the earth. He made these outrageous claims that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. Did you hear that emergence? You who believe in a generous orthodoxy, who believe in this nonsense that you can somehow be a follower of God or a follower of Jesus in the way of Allah or follower of Jesus in the way of Buddha, Jesus says you're wrong. Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me. And the apostles knew this to be true. And echoing the words of Jesus in the book of Acts, they say, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's right. There is no other name given. There is no other way to God. And Jesus himself in the Gospel of Luke commands his church to go into all the world and proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's right, forgiveness of sins. That's what the message of the cross is really all about. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's trespasses against them. That's right, because God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. Isaiah, teaching the doctrine of penal substitution, which is so offensive today to so many emergents and postmoderns, and yet it's so clearly taught, says this, He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Did you hear that? Jesus was pierced for your transgressions and mine. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 15, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That's right. The sinless one, the innocent one, takes the sin of the world upon himself, and drinks to the dregs the wrath of God in our place so that we might live. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. 
but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord, the will of Yahweh himself to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see many be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted, credited as righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Did you hear that? Jesus has borne your sin. We live in a world where this good news, this gospel message is scoffed at, but not scoffed at by the world, scoffed at by those who put on religious airs and religious pretenses and claim to be Christians, and yet they scoff at and hate and mock this good news that Jesus Christ has bled and died for our sins. And yet Jesus says, I am the way, the truth the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has borne the iniquity of the world upon himself and is calling all sinners to himself to repent and to be forgiven. And yet, there are those in the church who give a wink and a nod to sin rather than telling the great news that Jesus has bled and died for sins and calling people to repent, they say nonsense like, oh, well, you know, God blesses same-sex marriage and things of that sort. It's nonsense. It's not the gospel message. And our departed friend and brother, Ken Silva, knew this. And Ken Silva, according to the command of Scripture, the command of God the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Jude did what all Christians, you and me included, are called to do, and that is to contend for the faith. Hear again the words of Jude. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, while well, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Those who think, by the way, that somehow Christianity can be modified, can be tweaked, that somehow Christian doctrine and theology progresses, and that now the Holy Spirit is doing a new thing, a new thing that embraces all of the nonsense and false doctrine, false teaching, false hope, false gospels, false belief, false methodologies of our current age, run amok in the evangelical church, God's Word says, Jesus says, that the faith has been delivered once and for all to the saints. The same doctrine, the same dogma, the same good news that was delivered to the apostles has been entrusted to us, and we're not to tamper with it. We're to contend for it. 
Because what's at stake is men's souls. If you preach a false gospel, you preach men into hell, and you do it even in the name of Jesus. But if you preach the true gospel, the good news of Christ crucified for sins, well, then you preach people into heaven, where Ken right now is with Christ, in Christ. We continue with Jude. For I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in. Crept in where? Crept into the church. Crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people. That's right. Those who twist God's word. Who in the name of Jesus wink at sin and say that God blesses it. God says that they're ungodly. They are those who pervert the grace of our God and turn it into sensuality and deny the only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They're not followers of Jesus. They're deniers of Jesus. Now, I would remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. That's right. He destroyed them. But, but, but I don't believe in that kind of God. Well, it's tough. The God you believe in doesn't exist. The only God that exists is the one who destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Yeah, this is how love wins, is it not? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, there it is, God doesn't wink at same-sex marriage. Yeah, that's right. It's sexual immorality. They pursued unnatural desire. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, these people, who are these people? These people who've crept in, who've taken the grace of God and perverted it into sensuality, turned it into a license to sin. These people are like those in Sodom and Gomorrah. They rely on their dreams. They defile the flesh and they reject authority. Which authority do they reject? They reject God's authority and the authority of God's word. And they end up blaspheming the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing with the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. Woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain. How did Cain walk? Religious actions without faith or belief. That's right. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, the one who prophesied for profit. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah and his cohorts who rebelled against God's given authority. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Feast with us Christians, can you imagine? They are shepherds who feed only themselves. They are waterless clouds swept along by winds. They are fruitless trees in late autumn, and they are twice dead. Uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. They're wandering stars. In other words, you can't navigate by them because you can only navigate by the star that doesn't move. And that's the North Star. These are wandering stars for whom the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved. That's right. Eternal punishment is mentioned here. God's Word teaches it. 
And if you don't believe this, you need to repent and flee it by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It was also about these, these perverted people who twist God's word, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied about them, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are the grumblers. These are the malcontents who follow their own sinful desire, and they are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage. That's right. Those who twist God's word are malcontents, grumblers, and loud mouth boasters who follow their own sinful desires. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers. Oh, and they're here. They're here now, scoffing at God's Word, scoffing at the penal substitutionary atonement of Christ, scoffing at the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus, scoffing at the exclusivity of the claims of Christianity, scoffing at this idea that there is a such thing as true and false doctrine. Yet, Scripture warns us about them. You must remember the predictions of the apostles. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. Not following the Spirit, but following their own godly passions. And the worst thing about it is that they all claim, oh, we're following the new thing that the Spirit is doing. Hogwash. Scripture says you're following your own ungodly passions. It is these, these people, these scoffers, these malcontents, these grumblers, these who do not submit to the authority of Scripture, they are the ones who are causing division within the body of Christ. And Scripture says that they are worldly people. And they are devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved Christians, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. That's right. And this is what Ken Silva did. He unflaggingly, uncompromisingly defended, proclaimed Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and defended and contended for the faith once delivered to the saints. And by doing so, many of you listening today know that you were one of these ones who had doubts and were snatched from the fire by the work of Ken Silva, all in the name of Christ and contending for the faith and the truth of the gospel. And if you would honor the memory of Ken Silva, then do so by following in Silva's footsteps and believing and abiding in keeping Christ's word, believing that's what Scripture says is true, believing and proclaiming and preaching the crucified and risen Savior, the one who is the forgiver of sins, the one who is the hope of the world, the one who is the King of glory, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is coming soon to judge the living and the dead. Ken Silva is with Jesus. Ken Silva preached Christ. If you would honor his memory, do the same. Because this is what Scripture has commanded us to do. 
And by Scripture commanding us, we understand that all Scripture is God-breathed. That means that God Himself, Christ Himself, is commanding us to go and be an ambassador, to announce to the world the unilateral love and grace of God, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, Ken had penitent faith in Christ, given to him as a gift, and he has not perished. He has stepped into life. We will follow him shortly. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Christ. Proclaim the truth. Defend the truth in these dark days when the scoffers have overrun the church. This is the command of Scripture. This is the will of Christ. This is what we are called to do. And this is how we would honor the memory of Ken Silva. Jude ends this way. Now to him who is able to keep you, that would be Jesus, from stumbling and him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. That's right. Jesus presents you as blameless, not because you're blameless in yourself, but because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3 not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, the righteousness that is from God, that is by faith. He will present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray to the Lord our God and Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Lord God, give to the family of Ken Silva and all who mourn comfort in their grief and assure confidence in your loving care, casting all their sorrow on you that they may know the consolation of your love. Give courage and faith to the bereaved that within the communion of your church they may have strength to meet the days ahead in the assurance of the holy and certain hope and in the joyful expectation of eternal life with those they love who have departed in the faith. Help us, we pray, in the midst of things that we cannot understand, to believe and to find comfort in the communion of the saints and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Lord, receive our thanks for Ken Silva and for all the blessings you bestowed on him in this earthly life. Bring us at last to our heavenly home, that with him that we may see your face in the joys of paradise. And, O God of all grace, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to bring life and immortality to life. We give you thanks that by his death he destroyed the power of death, and by his resurrection he opened the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Strengthen us in the confidence that because he lives, we shall live also and that neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come will be able to separate us from your love, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Taught by our Lord and trusting in his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.
Amen. I am the resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. resurrection and the life, says the Lord. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Let us pray. Lord God, our shepherd, you gather the lambs of your flock into the arms of your mercy and bring them home. Comfort us with a certain hope of the resurrection to everlasting life and a joyful reunion with those we love who have died in the faith through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.